Hello everyone, welcome back to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. We're on our third episode, so we're up to our second recap, which is going to be episodes 103, Pack Mentality, and 104, Magic Bullet. Before we get started, I'll remind you that you can always contact us at our Twitter, Tumblr, email, or on hyperball.com. The Twitter is NATW Podcast. The Tumblr is Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast at Tumblr. And the email is natwpodcast at gmail.com. We'll get straight into the recap then. So the first episode is Pack Mentality 103, and Karen's going to do the recap for that one. Okay, the show opens up with Allison and Scott sneaking out of school at night to go into one of the buses to make out. And Scott ends up turning in front of Allison. She sees it, she tries to run away, but he grabs her and it kind of cuts. And we realize that it's actually just a dream and Scott doesn't really know if he killed her or not in his dream. They find out that someone actually was attacked that night in the bus, but it wasn't Allison, it was a bus driver. So Scott's kind of freaking out about that because he thinks he may have injured somebody. At lunch, Scott and Styles are joined by Allison and the popular kids, and Lydia suggests that the four of them, Jackson, Lydia, Scott, and Allison, all go on a group date. Allison agrees, although it's obvious that neither her or Scott look too excited about it. Lydia suggests bowling, and Jackson is obviously questioning and challenging Scott's skills at bowling, but Scott says that he's an awesome bowler, and Styles quickly reminds him that he's not, actually. Scott later goes to Derek for help with trying to figure out if he did attack this person or not, trying to remember what happened. Derek tells him that he can help him learn to control the transformation, but at a price. And when Scott asks what he wants, Derek says that he's not going to tell him yet. But he does tell Scott to go back to the bus and try to remember what happened. When Scott does, he thinks that Derek is actually the one who tried to kill the bus driver and that Scott was just there to witness it and he was actually trying to help the bus driver. So Allison, Jackson, Lydia, and Scott are on their group date, despite the fact that there's a curfew. And Scott's doing terrible at first, but then we get our favorite awkward moment (laughs) of the show, (laughs) where Allison tells him to picture her naked, and his werewolf powers kick in, and he actually starts winning. Obviously, this really upsets Jackson, and he promises to find out exactly what is going on with Scott and calls him a freak. We cut to another scene, and the hunters show up at the gas station where Derek is filling up his car. Allison's dad is there and tells Derek that he's very protective of his family, and it's basically a warning to tell Derek to watch his step because the hunters will be watching him. They know that he's there. Derek goes and visits the bus driver in the hospital. The bus driver wakes up, and all he actually says is, Hail, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Later that night, Styles comes to Scott and tells him that the bus driver actually died and Scott goes to Derek. They get into a fight, but Derek says that he didn't kill the bus driver or his sister. His sister was actually being used as bait because there's actually another werewolf in town, the Alpha, and he's the one who bit Scott, not Derek. And the episode ends there. So, Natalie, what were your favorite lines from this episode in particular? I had a few The first actual one-liner I noticed was one I didn't notice the first time around, which is when Scott 
asks Styles if he thinks he caught and ate a raw rabbit, looking quite horrified at this. Styles says, <laughs> no, you stopped to bake it in a little werewolf oven. I also really love and I still have always loved and still love the scene where Scott and Styles, after their awkward lunch with the popular kids, are waxing lyrical to each other about their personal problems, not listening to each other. Scott's going on about his very important werewolf problems and Styles is just like, I don't think Danny likes me very much. Am I not attractive to gay guys? And then Scott walks off sort of ignoring him and he's like, Scott, you didn't answer me. Am I attractive to gay guys? Yelling down the school hallway. Um, I love how he's so concerned about it. Like, it really bothers him. Yeah, and I'm sure that's, like, I'm sure that's meant to be one of the so-called hints that he's bisexual, though whether that will go anywhere or not, we do not know. But I also loved, and again, loved the first time I saw the episode when Scott visits his mother in the hospital and brings her dinner, and she's like, you are the most thoughtful, loving, most conniving little con artist ever, you're not getting the car. It was just so natural and and funny in that she, you know, obviously knew what he was after, and I like a lot of Scott's mother's lines, they're always funny like that. I also had one that was one that we mentioned in the first episode, one of my favourite quotes overall, where they go to check out the bus scene after the man's been removed when Scott goes there to remember what's happened he tells Styles to keep a lookout and not to come with him Styles objects saying why is it starting to feel like you're Batman and I'm Robin I don't want to be Robin all of the time and Scott kind of looks at him is like no one's Batman and Robin any of the time and Styles face just falls and he's like not even some of the time and I just I love that <laughs> so much yeah. and then one of the best bits as well was the entire scene of Styles coming in Scott's window to tell him that the bus drivers died. Everything from Scott's mother coming in, threatening him with a bat the same way Scott did in the first episode, and Styles saying, do either of you even play baseball? And then Scott's mother saying to Scott, can't he use the door? And Scott's just like, but we locked the door. He wouldn't be able to get in. Like, it was the stupidest idea he'd ever heard. And... <laughs> Then she says, do either of them care that there's a police in Force Cofield? And they both just look at her and like, no. And then at the very end of the scene, she's like, right, well, that's enough parenting for me. Good night. But she kind of does it. She turns her back on them and does these finger guns and like pieces out. And it's the delivery of the <laughs> entire scene is just beautiful. Yeah. I loved that. She always has a lot of those really great lines in there. And I, I always really enjoy her relationship that she has with Scott and Styles. You can really see her kind of like relationship with him in this scene in particular. Yeah. Too. What about your one-liners? Well, <laughs> my, uh, my list starts with the one where they're at the table with the popular kids and Jackson comes over and there's a guy sitting at the head of the table <laughs> and Jackson just looks at him and says, get up. And he's like, why don't you ever ask Danny to get up? And Danny just turns to him and says, because I don't stare at his girlfriend's coin slot. And I'm just like, oh, (laughs) some of the things that they can get away with. They do say things that are pretty, like, it's definitely not, is it PG rated? What's the rating of this show? It's it's definitely not. I, I don't know. T for teen? I don't even know teen, if that's a rating. Teen audience. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely pretty, not vulgar, but it it's, says a lot more than, it, it, it's not clean. It's not a clean it's, show. It's suggestive. Yeah. <laughs> but it comes on at 10 at night, so I mean, you oh, got to yeah. figure Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah. okay, yeah. But yeah, I just, I love Danny in that scene. I know. Funny. <laughs> I loved I loved when uh, he sat down at the table with them as they'd clearly been told by Lydia that okay we're gonna go and sit with them today. But yeah. both Danny and the girl sitting on the other side of Styles both look at Styles with this look of just like 
who are you? What are we doing here? And it's fantastic. (laughs) I really like Lydia now that I've seen, you know, both seasons. So Mm. I'm really picking up on a lot of things that she's said before and going, Mm. oh, you know, I didn't realize how incredible she is, Mm. you know, until now. So when she just says, a cougar is a mountain lion, then she kind of pauses, isn't it? And you can (laughs) just tell, like, she caught herself being too smart and had to, like, throw something else in there. Yeah, yeah. Another good exchange between Scott and Styles. They had a lot of good ones this episode was when gosh when this is after they figure out that Scott didn't kill or didn't attack the bus driver and Styles says that means you're not a killer and it also means and Scott kind of cuts him off and says I can go out with Allison. Styles so is just like I was going to say it means you won't kill me and then Scott's face and he's like oh yeah that too. <laughs> it's terrible. He's so yeah. this is going to come up a little bit later but yes yeah, Scott the Scott and Allison dynamic versus the Scott and the Styles dynamic or just Scott's opinion of the world in general with Allison as a center is is something that is very <laughs> interesting in a few ways but pro- possibly not particularly positive. <laughs> yeah. Another good one is when Styles says you don't hang out with hot girls that's like death. Once it's hanging out you might as well be your gay best friend. <laughs> From that scene. That scene the lines he said there sounds like he used to have a lot of experience like that he he's yeah. had and in the previous episode, when Scott and Allison got together, Scott was being all, like, starstruck. And he was like, oh, she kissed me. And Styles is like, awesome, isn't it? It sounds like a couple of years ago, Styles did well. And now he's just really lame, if you know what I mean. There's a lot of references <laughs> so where he sounds like he's talking, like he has had more social interactions, that he hasn't always been scarlet nerded as, as we covered. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little bit curious about that, and actually there's a spoiler uh, coming up in our news section which might relate to that, I think. It makes me wonder if he if he was popular or, you know, he did have a few girlfriends or something in the past, or if he's just better understanding girls, yeah. you know, if he's more aware. Yeah, true. It's very curious to me. One of the lines that always really sticks out in my mind when I think of Lydia is this one, when... Allison, they're at bowling, and Allison leans over and says, maybe you should stop pretending to suck just for his benefit. And Lydia just goes, trust me, I do plenty of sucking just for his benefit. Uh... And this is, this is another instance of they're, they're sliding in things that yeah. are pretty suggestive, but hilarious at the same time. Yeah. Nice. And to me, that really, that just sums up Lydia as a character, too, because we know how intelligent she is, and yet she brings herself down, you know, to make Jackson feel better. And that's something I actually want to talk about a little bit later. But, yeah, that's that's another good line. And the, the other one that I wanted to bring up, which actually isn't a favorite line at all, it's just a little scene where Scott, he's, he's so, I think it's when he's so worried about Allison, right? And he's mm. angry, and he punches a locker, and he walks away, and you see him turn around, and it just so happens to be Jackson's locker. Mm. And Jackson's like, what just happened? And Scott kind of, like, laughs and turns away. And I just really like the their facial expressions there. Yeah, I did notice that scene as well, because when I was watching it, I didn't remember, when he punched the locker, I didn't remember that it wasn't his own locker until I saw J- Jackson come up to it and sort of pull the door off and be like, what? is this and yeah and then I, I I actually found that one of the funnier moments in the in the episode as well 
Okay, I don't know if you if you saw this anywhere or um, if you remember it at all, but you know the scene where they're in the bus, and I believe it's when it's right at the beginning when Allison and Scott are in the bus together before we know that it's a dream, mm. and he's starting to change, and his hand comes over the bus seat. And we see his hand changing and he starts growing the claws and everything. Apparently, this is a, a scene that they had a lot of trouble with. And that is actually trivia. That's actually Jeff Davis's hand, not Tyler Posey, who plays Scott. They reshot this scene. I don't even know how, how many times, but the director, I believe it was, just never liked how the hand came over the seat, even after they shot it. He decided he didn't like it. So when they were back in California, uh, they found a bus seat and then Jeff actually put his hand into the scene and did it a few more times. And the guy <laughs> didn't like it to the point where what you saw on television and what's on the DVD is actually different. And <laughs> Jeff, Jeff said that they spent something like $3,000 just getting this one part hand. right. This like, you know, three second clip of the hand coming over the seat like that. That's incredible. That's crazy. <laughs> Needless to say, Jeff was like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something that, yeah, that I can't imagine how bad it could have possibly been that it would have been unacceptable, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that I did not know that, and that is some interesting trivia, and I find that fairly amusing. So I will have to check out the DVD rips and the TV version and, and see the difference there. Yeah, I'd like to see the difference too. Now, my first question is, in the first scene after the bus, when the guys come to school and it turns out that there was a real attack, Scott is freaked out that he really has killed Allison, which is totally understandable. But he has this kind of anger panic attack that almost seems a little bit uncalled for for me because I'm just wondering, like, don't these people have phones? Like, Surely the first thing to do would have been to logically find out what's happened rather than just sort of stumbling into people and punching and screaming, which is sort of what happened. And that would make people suspect you or at least think you're very strange. So my question for you is, do you think that that rage panic attack that Scott had in the school was justified or is that what you'd do if, you'd, if that happened to you or would you pick up your phone? Well, I, I'm pretty sure he was texting her and she just wasn't answering back. And so that's when he started panicking. As far as if it was justified or not, I don't, I don't think that I would have gotten angry and punched a locker. But at the same time, he's all, you know, pumped up on these werewolf superpowers. And I think that his emotions are heightened. So for him specifically as a teen wolf, I think that it was, a realistic and justified reaction. And we also know that he cares about Allison maybe a little too much, so he was freaking out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was a reaction that was maybe not I think it was a reaction that was normal to him, maybe not for the rest of us though. It always just shocks me a bit when he gets sort of what I'd consider to be irrationally angry, but then again if I thought that my obsessive girlfriend that I'd just killed her, I might be like that too. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of makes me realize that we don't really know who Scott is pre being a werewolf. We don't know if his personality has changed or maybe he he was angry all the time to begin with. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, he seems to be trying to fight all aspects of being a werewolf pretty hard and hang on to who he was before, but I guess, you know, I guess it has to go one way or the other at some point. My next discussion point is about Jackson and Lydia's relationship. I find it really interesting because Lydia is very intelligent. We've seen this before and we see it more later on, but she purposely dumbs herself down and pretends to not know the things that she knows to make Jackson feel better. And Jackson is one of the most insecure people that I've ever seen. And she does this because strangely enough, she cares about him and doesn't want him to feel like he is dumber than her or, you know, any of that stuff. So I I just, I kind of wonder, does Jackson know how smart Lydia is? And what do you think about their relationship in general? I'm not sure that he does know how smart she is. She obviously makes an effort to always back down or or not come across as too intellectual. And I don't know if that's because it's something that they have argued about in the past or if he legitimately isn't aware that she knows how insecure he is and that she's done this just to keep him happy or to keep him feeling on top like we saw in the previous episode when she came and threatened Scott into winning the game because she needed Jackson to feel like a a winner. Whether it's something that he is aware is being done for him or that he... I can't imagine... I mean, Jackson's not that nice, but I can't imagine him telling her off. I can't imagine him telling her off in the sense of, don't you dare be smarter than me, don't you dare show me up kind of thing. So I I can't imagine that happening. So I can only think that she sees exactly what's going on with him and cares about him or cares about the status of being with him, probably both, and acts a certain way in order for him to be happy without realising that, you know, she's a a threat in any way or or anything like that. Yeah, that makes sense. My next point was a pretty small one which is just that in class and it happens a few times during the episode and the following episode they whisper so loudly about all the (laughs) werewolf stuff they discuss so many things i understand that they have to sort of film it in a way that we're seeing them we're able to hear them on the camera but they talk legitimately out loud in class about all these werewolf problems and Derek and all of these crazy things. If Jackson wants to find out what's going on, he should probably just, you know, sit one desk over and he'd be <laughs> set. So I'm kind of glad that the creepy um, chemistry teacher, Mr. Harris, called them out on it because, like he said, if that's their idea of a hushed whisper, they might have to uh, reevaluate. But when they got separated in the class, when the teacher says, I think you and Mr. McCall would benefit from a little bit of distance, yes. And Styles just goes, no. The delivery of that, just that, was to me the funniest thing in the whole episode. Me and my roommate, we both stopped and just, we were just falling over laughing at that. (laughs) I don't know why, it was just, I'm 100% sure it was an ad lib. And it was just so beautiful, I loved that. So that was a very, a very small point. But yes, this, this whispering I just find a little bit hysterical that no one is being like, what the hell are you talking about? And that... Jackson, who's so keen to find out, has not picked up on any of this yet. I have a pretty small point, too. Just a quick question. Did you 
by any chance get a sense that Lydia was kind of crushing on Allison's dad when he walked in? Yeah, I did. It was he was she was definitely being like coy and flirty. But I don't yeah. know if it was in a legitimately like, ooh, you have a hot daddy kind of way, or if it was in a <laughs> I do this to try and get what I want, or that she has a, you know, validation thing where she has to kind of make all guys like her, if that's kind of a, a power thing for her. But I definitely did get that, it, like, I definitely did think that she was being quite flirtatious with him and that it was yeah. a little odd. <laughs> yeah, it was a little weird for me. I was like, oh, okay, that's strange. Yeah, luckily that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my other point was kind of about the dynamic that happened when the cool group came and sat with Styles and Scott at lunch. Because both of the guys are really confused, and I know that Allison is, is friends with Lydia now, and that may be why that all happened. But the whole situation, it, it is very odd. I mentioned earlier kind of Styles' reactions to the girl and Danny sitting down on either side of him and their reactions to him, and it's clearly no one is comfortable with this situation, and it's all a bit, we've been told to do this by the Queen Bee. But the dynamic between Jackson and Scott is obviously quite hostile. So I don't really understand what Lydia's motivation is here, like why she wants to go on this double date, why she wants to sit with them. Is it just because she legitimately is friends with Alison and she wants the boyfriends to be friends? Is it because she doesn't really like spending time alone with Jackson? both at the table and on the date, the hostility between Jackson and Scott, is that not bothering anyone else? Like, is that not bothering the girls? Alison does stand up to Jackson quite a lot about it, but why would you want to spend time in that situation? I don't really understand what, like, why the double date happened, if you know what I mean. So what do you think about that whole thing? I think there's a lot of factors going on here. I think it is partly that Lydia and Allison are friends and that Lydia probably just wants to get to know Allison a bit more, hang out with her. I think the relationship between Jackson and Lydia is a very strange one because even though they're dating and, you know, they apparently love each other and everything, they're they're quite hostile. And we see that a little bit more in some episodes coming up here soon. So I think that your point about maybe she doesn't really enjoy spending alone time with him, or maybe she's just bored of spending alone time with him or something that could definitely be part of it. I also think something else to keep in mind is that she, I'm pretty sure she wants to keep Scott close because he's turning into this amazing lacrosse player and she knows that, you know, he has all that potential and she has a thing for guys who are, you know, good at what they do, like the lacrosse thing. She wants to be popular. She wants to date the best guy in the school. Mm. And we see a couple of strange looks that she gives Scott earlier on, like the one at the party where she's obviously eyeing him, kind of sizing him up. So I'm thinking at least part of it is maybe she just wants to keep Scott close to her in case, oh, hey, I don't want to date Jackson anymore. I'm going to start going out with this guy. Yeah, I mean, when he starts succeeding at bowling, she pretty much starts hitting on him in front of Jackson and Allison. That was so awkward. And I don't understand what... Because I know, I know that Lydia is a good person and she does value other people. But on the surface, this is very odd behaviour. And it kind of seems like she doesn't really care about Allison or Jackson if she'd be willing to do that. So I'm not quite sure what her deal is. 
and what she does have underneath currently if what she becomes later in the season and next season is a growth thing as opposed to an uncovering thing, if you know what I mean. Mm. I kind of have a feeling that it's more like an uncovering thing. I think maybe she's so used to being this way because of her relationship with Jackson that it's sort of polluted her as a person and that she's used to acting like this. So for her, it's really not that strange. But later on, as she becomes closer friends with Scott and Styles and Allison and everything, she sort of realizes that there is value in being herself. Yeah, I would I would hope so. I would hope that she would realise that. <laughs> Back to the date scene. Once again, we do have Jackson suspecting Scott after he gets good at bowling. And once again, I kind of say fair enough because this change is very noticeable to Jackson who knows about Scott's athletic skills. And while I think it is quite selfishly driven, I like that Scott tries to say, hey, let's not hate each other. And Jackson's like, I don't hate you. I just think that you've got something dodgy going on and I don't feel good about it and I want to know what it is. I really liked that. I mean, I know that Jackson wants it for himself, but I did really, really like that he flat out said, I don't hate you. I just think this is shady and I think that you don't want Alison to know about it and I know that you're onto something and I am not okay with it. So as we're rewatching, I really have sort of liked seeing that from Jackson and while I've said before I don't think it's a big moral code thing I'm surprised that other people aren't noticing I'm kind of surprised that Scott doesn't think more like to hide his skills or to Mm. if he he does know that he's getting if Jackson is suspecting him or perhaps he doesn't even think Jackson is a real threat and that's why he hasn't bothered but Jackson clearly suspects something's up it's clearly getting worse and I think that he would you know, Scott would benefit from playing it down a bit more if he if he is trying to hide it. But he hasn't even seemed to be bothered by the fact that Jackson is suspecting him. So that's probably not going to work out too well for him. <laughs> I liked the scene between Derek and the Hunters for a couple of reasons. Because even though Allison's father, all he did was clean his windshield you're so intimidated by him and you know how menacing he is and how big of a deal it is that he's confronting Derek like this and I think it's really interesting that they don't kill him they don't hurt him they break his window which is unfortunate but they basically just warn him and say look I have my family here. I care about my family a lot. I will do whatever it takes to protect them. You know, just letting you know. And Derek gets a little snippy and that's why they break his window. But I just thought it was really interesting that even though they knew exactly who Derek was, they didn't kill him. They just warned him. Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting scene as well, though I was a bit objectioning to the breaking of the window because... They didn't do anything to him, but Derek hasn't done anything to them either. They don't need to do that. Like, he should sue like, because, <laughs> you know, you don't just go around breaking people's windows. But, yeah, it, that is obviously a very clear representation of the Hunter's Code where, I mean, it would be nice if you could just not break the window or not say things in a threatening way and be like, hey, how are you going? You haven't killed anyone. Just keep it that way because that's cool. But clearly they do have a prejudice against werewolves and they think that they're all time bombs. It was a very powerful scene with the window washing, etc. But I was very objectionable to the smashing in the car window because I thought it was really, <laughs> really unnecessary and thuggish. And I was just like, oh, 
the car. Don't do that. I know. Um, I know. It's such a nice car. And I was like, no, please. <laughs> Derek must be quite annoyed at this point because he, as we'll see in the next couple of episodes, he was very much under the radar prior to Scott flailing and crying around about him. <laughs> uh, and even as a child, his family lived in Beacon Hills and they were not animalistic killers. No one knew that they were werewolves. So Derek must be pretty annoyed at this point to be exposed and I'm sure that the window breaking can't help. But yeah, in my opinion, can you imagine what would happen if they if he did sue? Like if he was just like this, <laughs> these men surrounded me and broke my car window for no reason and, and that they went to a court case and that they both had to try and fight their points without revealing that Derek was a werewolf and they were werewolf hunters. <laughs> there is no excuse for that. So I was just like, in terms of real people law, them doing that bothered me. But I did like the scene in general. The last point that I had was just another small one. But this is the first time that we're seeing Derek actually wolf out big time. And I just kind of wanted to know what you thought of, you know, we've talked about the makeup and stuff before in our first episode and everything. And, and just, I really liked how they did it behind that like ribbed glass mm. and had him change, which obviously was, Hey, you know, cheaper, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of a cool effect anyway. And it looked pretty neat, but in comparison to Scott's makeup, what did you think about Derek? Cause I know like for me, and especially when we get into seeing some more of the other werewolves, there are some people's makeup who they don't look half bad as a werewolf given the extra hair and you know, the <laughs> stuff. But some people are just, like, really ugly. <laughs> so what did you think of Derek compared to Scott? First of all, the thing behind the glass was a really, really classy way of doing a cheap effect. Very, very, very nicely and smoothly done as opposed to doing a bad effect or doing a jump cut or something like that. It is a bit of a kind of cop-out, but for a show that doesn't have a big budget... It was a very nice way of doing it. And my, my roommate, who's who's watching with me for the first time, she is a 3D animation and design student, and she was very impressed by how they'd done that for budget purposes. She was like, that's one of the best ways to do that kind of thing if you have a cheap budget. So, yeah, I, I did really like the transformation as well. As far as the way that Derek looked, I think he looks less like himself. He, he looks less like Tyler Hecklin in the makeup than Scott looks Scott Werewolf looks like Tyler Posey. I can see Tyler Posey's face through his right. wear face, but I can't really see Hecklin's <laughs> face through Derek's werewolf face. I don't hate it. I think it's it looks very different stylistically. I don't really love Scott's like widow's peak hair coming down all the way to his nose. Um, <laughs> but Derek kinda looks a bit like a buffy vampire, so I'm not oh, really sure okay. about either of them. Yeah, I feel like the makeup's a bit heavier on Derek than it is on Scott. Really? You're right. There's definitely a forehead thing, and it's whereas Scott has the hair, Derek has the kind of wrinkled forehead. It doesn't look that wolfish. I mean, none of them look that wolfish. That whole scene, though, well, a lot of the Scott and Derek stuff in this episode, it's starting to really stress me out. Derek and Scott <laughs> is starting to really stress me out, and I might rant about it and then get your opinions. So, okay. <laughs> so yeah, my issues with Derek and Scott are going to get very large in the next couple of episodes. We have, okay, the first time Scott goes over to Derek's house in this episode, 
Scott acknowledges that he and Styles screwed Derek over regarding both getting him arrested by the police and alerting the hunters to his presence. But he goes there asking for Derek's help. And Derek tells Scott what to do, and Scott does it, and he gets his answers, and Derek agrees that he'll help Scott in future and that there will be a price of some sort, which he doesn't tell him what it is. But he says that he's going to help Scott, and his advice does end up helping Scott. Now, I do get that Scott doesn't know about any other wolves, so when he realises in the vision that there was another wolf there, that he assumes it's Derek. But the pieces don't fit that well, and I don't understand why Scott assumes that if he doesn't feel like a killer or an animal himself, then why he's assuming all other werewolves are killers, because Derek hasn't done anything to make them think he would kill anyone, in my opinion. I don't know if I've got that totally wrong, and that maybe from an outside perspective... It does look like that he would be killing people and Scott doesn't know any better, but to me the pieces don't fit. And I understand that Derek hasn't given a lot of information, but I would be asking a few more questions. And so the second time he does visit, well, we have the disembodied Derek voice and then Scott throws him through a wall. That whole thing is also very strange to me in that here's the problem with these people. Scott needs to not assume that Derek is evil And Derek needs to offer up all of the information and his role in the entire proceedings without needing every second word dragged out of him. Because he says half a sentence where he could be offering up all of the information at once. I understand that Derek is very emotionally stunted and has trouble stringing a sentence together. But I totally get why he Hulk smashed Scott all over his house. Because how annoyed would you be at this kid coming there, accusing you of killing your sister who you love, and some dude that you've never even met, when you have probably never... I'm not going to say Derek's never killed anyone before, but that you are not a mindless killer. You know that. But why does it take him so long to tell Scott anything at all? You know, it took him this long. It It's the last 30 seconds of this episode he tells Scott that he's not the one that bit him. That would have been helpful two episodes ago when he was trying to get Scott to trust him and be brothers with him, but you have to drag every single word out of Derek. He never offers up the information, yet he wants Scott to trust him and help him. And then Scott comes to him, asks for help, but then picks and chooses. He asks for help and then he insults him and being a murderer, and it's so stupid to me. So I don't understand why Derek can't just lay out all the facts and Scott can choose to trust him or not. So I think Scott is unnaturally aggressive and angry towards Derek and Derek hasn't even done anything to Scott. I understand Scott thinking that he has, but to me the pieces didn't add up enough. But then if I was Derek and trying to get Scott to help me and trust me, the way that I would solve that problem is to offer up all the information that I had straight away. And he didn't. Explain this to me. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Well, as far as what Scott sees Derek as, I mean, the guy does lurk a lot. So, I mean, (laughs) he is a little creepy. I can understand why Scott would jump to some of these conclusions. But, you know, you are right in saying that Scott really has no evidence that Derek's done anything wrong, regardless of whether he has or not. Scott doesn't know that either way. So, I think that Scott is afraid, and I think he's just taking it out on Derek because Derek's the only one that is there who can understand, you know, what he's going through and he's not being helpful. And as far as Derek not being helpful, we see this more later on, but he has these massive trust issues that get in his way a lot. And I think that 
even though he wants Scott to trust him, he doesn't trust Scott. He doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't want to give anybody information that they could possibly use against him. And he, he tries to manipulate people. I, I don't think he's very good at it, but he's by ho- so withholding. He's so bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> he's not like your evil, twisted, you know. He's not like the alpha, which we'll see later. I don't want to give any spoilers away. But he does try to manipulate people and he tries to withhold this information, hoping that, you know, he doesn't have to tell these people things that they might be able to use against him. I don't know. Does that help at all? It does, but he wants Scott to trust him and help him. Yeah. So I don't understand why he's thinking that Scott would go off, if you know what I mean. Like, is it just that he assumes that Scott will believe him if he he doesn't have to offer up backup for his words? Because I understand Scott not believing him if he hasn't, you know, if he doesn't have anyone else to point the finger at. But surely Scott gets bitten. Derek shows up and tries to help him or, you know, lurk him or whatever (laughs) surely the first thing you would say would be like i'm in the same boat as you i didn't give you the bite so we're in this together i'll help you Mm -hmm. no no not a good idea no okay (laughs) all right derek okay but yeah a lot of the stuff with derek is is starting to stress me out a bit in the sense of i am very much on derek's side because i think that scott is stupid sometimes and that derek is stupid but it comes from emotional trauma whereas scott is just kind of dumb but (laughs) but it's really stressing me out watching scott treat him like that and watching derek not give the information that he has he's shooting himself in the foot i don't like watching him do that because i just want him to be like a bit less fail than he currently is and jumping ahead just a little bit I think this is going to be a major theme in season three, especially in the beginning. And I think that their trust of each other is going to be put to the test big time. So it's kind of interesting to see the beginnings of this again and seeing, you know, where it started. And then eventually we're going to see how it ends up. I will be very upset if the if the show does end up with... If Scott becomes an alpha, that's whatever, that's here or there. But if it does not end up with these people, like you know, humans, werewolves, you know, cannamas, immune people, everyone in this circle, like, being a pack of sorts. Right. I will be very upset if it if it becomes a Scott's pack versus Derek's pack kind of thing. Not even yeah. in a hostile way, but in a kind of, like, we're both coexisting. If they do not come together to be, like, one big happy werewolf family with a lot of sarcasm, <laughs> I will be so upset. Like, I really just... I just really want them to. Yeah, yeah, so do I. My last point, though, was when he does explain about the Alpha, finally, (laughs) he says that Laura came to Beacon Hills looking for the Alpha. He knew about the Alpha. He's stronger, more powerful, whatever. Laura came there looking for him. That's not true, though, is it? Like, Derek, did Derek not know that Laura was an Alpha? Because I thought that she was and that this Alpha killed her to get his Alpha powers. Did Derek know none of that? Is that... Is Derek's reluctance to share information with Scott is actually because he doesn't know things himself and he's just trying to make out like he's holding back, but it's actually that he doesn't know, but he's trying to not look like he doesn't know? I think it's a problem with the wording. I don't, I, I think you're right in saying that she was the alpha 
And then I think she came looking for this other werewolf and he just references the other werewolf as the alpha because that's what he is now, but not necessarily what he was before. So she came looking for the werewolf and then the werewolf killed her, became the alpha, and that's where we are now. Okay, so from that you're saying that Laura knew that there was another werewolf in Beacon Hills, came back to check it out as an alpha, then Mm -hmm. she got killed, this guy took her alpha powers and... Then why does he say that she was killed as bait? What did he want with Derek? I mean, he wants Derek to be pack now, but doesn't that wouldn't make Laura bait. Like, something about that doesn't add up. I don't know. I think we're probably going to get more into this in Season 3, too, especially with the flashback episode that we're supposed mm. to be having. So I think we are missing some information to really understand what exchanges happened between Laura and the other guy and, you know, what exactly happened there. When Derek starts talking to Scott about alphas and says that it's a stronger, more animalistic, you know, more powerful beast, do you think that that reflects on all alphas, that you become more animalistic if you're an alpha in general, or if he's just talking about this alpha? I assumed it was all alphas. Although I'm sure that personality has something to do with it too. Maybe some people are better at controlling the animal side than others, but yeah, I kind of assumed it was all alphas. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to compare this every week to Buffy, but that concept would seem very similar to, like, vampires in Buffy, that Mm -hmm. some of them are really human and some of them, you know, even without a soul, like Spike, free soul, very human, though still liked killing people, and some of them are just really (laughs) beastly. Right. So I don't know about Derek in season two, whether he, because we haven't seen him turn full alpha the way that... We know that other alphas do, and I don't know if that's because he hasn't been very good at it yet or if it's because of who Derek is, if you know what I mean. Like, do you think Derek will turn more animalistic? Do you think Scott, if he turned into an alpha, would become more, would lose his humanity more? I don't know, because to me, even though Scott doesn't always make the right choices, he's got a very good head on his shoulders as far as staying human. And I mean, he has Styles, he has Allison, he has his other friends and everything. So I think that not necessarily that he would be a competent alpha, but that he wouldn't be super animalistic and that I think that he would be a solid leader if he did mature a little bit more, you know, if he did come into that position. As far as Derek goes, I think we've pretty much seen what Derek is like as an alpha. I don't think we're going to see any more of that animalistic tendency. I hope not. I hope that... Me neither. Yeah, no, I hope that he's not going to... I feel like he's going to join, run off and join this alpha pack and be like, you know, he's going to be like, I'm rebelling, mom, or something like that, you know, <laughs> and, and that he might go off the rails a bit, but I really hope he doesn't because I'm very soft for Derek and that I want him to hang on to as much as his humanity as he can because he's clearly very lost a lot of it over the last six years um in that he has severe emotional problems and never has facial expression um (laughs) and is used to doing things a certain way so I would really like to see him hanging around with these people and you know that them all forming this kind of misshapen half human faux pack and and that you know people like Lydia and Styles and then looking after Erica and and the others, if they come back, to be something that makes him 
a little bit of who he was before the fire or whatever. If he had, you know, happy feelings or smiles or, you know, anything like that possibly in his, <laughs> in his life. I don't want him to... Derek seems like a villain through most of season one and I don't want to see him ever seem like more of a villain than he does in this season, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Anything else for the episode 103? I just have to read this out for our listeners because this made me laugh so hard when I read it in the doc. But oh, God. Beginning, the beginning of this sentence, Natalie writes, and then later at the bowling, after Allison puts on her stealth beanie and jumps off the roof, <laughs> I just died at stealth beanie. I was like, oh, my God, that's true. Like, literally all she did was put on this hat and all of a sudden it's like she's this ninja. <laughs> It's true. Well, it was just very confusing to me because I was like, what's that achieving? It's not like you, like, <laughs> what did the, okay, it was just very strange. But, um, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so episode 104 is Magic Bullet. And I really loved this episode, actually. I think it was one of my favorite of season one. Yeah, um, this is actually um, my favorite one so far out of the first four. I know we're only at four, but yeah, this this one always really stands out to me too. So a woman drives into Beacon Hills and she's attacked by the Alpha, and at first it seems like she's your typical victim, but then we learn she's Kate Argent, Allison's aunt, so Chris Argent's sister, and that she's a ruthless hunter. She ends up shooting Derek, who's been tracking the Alpha, and Scott arrives because he was sort of compelled by the Alpha, but he, he arrives just in time to overhear Kate telling Chris that whoever she shot would have 48 hours to live. Allison's excited that her aunt's come to visit, but she starts to realise something's being hidden from her when Kate and her dad's stories about car trouble don't match up with each other. Uh, meanwhile, Derek, who's now very sick and losing control of his wolf powers, tries to find Scott at school to get help. He overhears a lot of conversations and noises, including a conversation between Allison and Lydia about whether Allison will have sex with Scott or hook up with him in any way on their study date. And he ends up in the parking lot where Styles nearly runs him over. Derek passes out into the road and it causes a big scene and a congestion pile up and Scott stashes Derek in the Jeep and Derek asks Scott to find the type of bullet he was shot with at Allison's house as he's going there that night for the study date. Scott's reluctant to jeopardize his relationship with Allison in order to help Derek, but Derek says he'll die without the information and the bullet. At Allison's, after he notices all her past failed hobbies in the boxes she's been unpacking, Allison shows Scott where her true talents lie and it's archery. Scott also sees much more of the Argent's weaponry, guns and things like that, which Allison says is to do with her father's job as an arms dealer to the military. Chris Argent and Kate Argent catch them making out in the garage, and when Chris tries to kick Scott out, Kate insists that he stays for dinner. The dinner's awkward, and Chris shoots Scott down about everything he says, everything Allison says about him, and he offers him alcohol to test him. Styles keeps trying to contact Scott urgently throughout the night. He's been driving around not knowing what to do with Derek all afternoon while Derek sort of makes weak threats at him while bleeding all over the car. And he insists that Scott finds the bullet and bring it to them as soon as possible. Scott tells them to go to the veterinary clinic where he works and wait for them there. Scott finds the bullet, which has been dosed with a rare type of wolfsbane, um, in Kate's bag in her room. As he leaves the house, Kate accuses him of having been in her things when he went into her room to go to the guest bathroom. 
but got saved by Allison, who is apparently also going through Kate's bag looking for condoms, and pulls one out to show that that's what had been going on. Scott meets Styles and Derek at the vet clinic where Derek's been preparing to make Styles cut off his arm to stop the poison spreading to the rest of his body. Scott gets there just in time and Derek burns the wolf's bane in the new bullet and treats his wound with the ashes. This heals him totally. Scott then starts to argue with him about why Derek deserves his help and that the Argents are nice people. Derek takes Scott to see his uncle Peter, who's comatose and disabled in burns in a care facility. Peter was the only survivor of the Hale house fire, which happened six years ago while Laura and Derek were out of the house at school. Derek tells Scott that the Argents set the fire, that they were the only ones who knew the Hales were werewolves, and that the hunters were meant to have a code and only kill adult wolves who have proven to have spilled human blood, but that in the fire were members of the Hale family who weren't even werewolves at all. Uh, Eleven people died, and not all of them werewolves. Back at the Argent's house, Alison overhears more conversations that make her suspicious, as Chris and Kate discuss how the beta wolves, which is Scott and Derek, will lead them to the Alpha. Not that they mention Scott by name, they mention Derek, but they don't know the second wolf is Scott. Chris insists that they do this hunt in the right way, sticking to the rules, and Kate agrees slyly while lighting a fire, which is meant to imply that she burnt down the Hale house without the knowledge of the rest of the hunters and against the code. So that was the episode Magic Bullet. What were your favourite bits from that episode? The first one is right at the beginning when Kate calls... Chris there and he arrives oh, he says something to her and she goes not even a hello and he goes all I've got right now is please put away the assault rifle before somebody notices <laughs> and I just oh that's so funny he's so good at delivering those lines so seriously he's got a very dry humor and I just really enjoy it another one that he does too is when he asks Scott do you eat meat and there's just like oh that one kills me every time too but he's so serious he's so good at it that made me wonder, you asked last episode whether Chris suspects that Scott may be a wolf or not. I'm still torn. I want to say yes, that he, I think he does suspect. I don't know. I can't, I can't work it out. Do you think at this point that he suspects or that... I think that he realizes that maybe Scott isn't the most normal person on the planet at this point. I'm sure that he's just a suspicious person by nature, so maybe he's throwing out all these weird things and really testing him to get down to the bottom of it. And I think, I, I want to say that he's suspicious, but he has no proof. And he's the type of person that isn't going to just say, all right, well, are you a werewolf? You know, or like <laughs> attack him because he doesn't have proof, especially given Scott's age. So I think he's got this idea forming in his head that, Something definitely weird is going on with Scott, but maybe he just doesn't know exactly what. A couple of good Styles Styles lines this time around, too, where (laughs) he says, No more talk of the Alpha or Derek, especially Derek, who still scares me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. And then um, another one that always makes me laugh is when Styles says, And by the way, he's starting to smell talking about Derek after he's been shot and Scott's on the phone. He asks like what? And so I was just like, like death. <laughs> and the looks Derek gives him when he's driving around talking yeah. to Scott, trying to pretend that Derek is not there in the car with him. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like, if I had the strength to put my hands around your neck right now, I would. <laughs> yeah. Scott has a good one too, where he says this house is like the Walmart of guns. And I just, 
Tyler Posey is really good at delivering those lines like he's not quite as witty and snappy as some of the other characters, but the way that he says those lines, even though they're they're sort of silly and dumb, it's just so good. And I, I just enjoy that side of Scott a lot. Yeah. And then the last one I have is actually not a funny one at all, but the whole scene, and we'll get into this a little bit later, later too, but when Chris Argent is talking about the rabid dog and the whole metaphor that the rabid dog, and then obviously he's kind of likening it to werewolf, but he says something that out of control is better off dead. And to me, that's just a really powerful line. And it really sums up the type of person. Yeah. It's very much, it's very poignant for what ends up happening later as well. And it just, in that, single line alone it really sums up the type of person that chris argent is and the type of person that the hunters are in general and how serious they take this and how ingrained their beliefs are and i just i I always like that whole scene too Mm. mine were that i really liked when derek kept threatening styles like when he you know when they were driving around and and styles is kind of like what are you gonna do i could take you out into the road and you know your weak ass out into the road and leave you there. And he's just like, start the car or I'm going to rip your throat out with my teeth. And yeah. Styles does it. And then later on when he's asking him to cut off his arm as well, he's like, how about this? You cut off my arm or I'll cut off your head. But the threats are really weak to me. Like they're really, obviously he's quite weak, but mm-hmm. I think that he's really used to physically threatening people at this point in the last, you know, six years or whatever. But I really don't think that he would be following through on this at any point. He just uses intimidation because he knows it works. I don't think that at the end of the day he would start ripping out anyone's throats with right. their teeth that hasn't done anything. And that sort of comes up a bit later in that Styles actually says, you know, your threats really aren't working for me anymore. And then he kind of, you know, Derek grabs him and he does he does go along with it. But that whole situation really makes me think that Derek doesn't really know how to he doesn't really know how to talk to people because yeah. <laughs> Styles, funnily enough, because Styles isn't by any stretch of the imagination fond of Derek at this point, but he he is helping him. Derek doesn't have to threaten him, if you know what I mean. But it's right. the only way he knows how. He doesn't know how to ask yeah. people for help, and um, I find that really interesting. And that's why I want him to keep hanging around with those people. Because Scott reacts badly to threats. Scott just reacts in anger. But if Derek hangs, or you know, steric stuff aside, but there's a huge point that I know that, you know, the fandom does go on with that as well. But relationship aside, someone like Derek hanging around with someone like Styles is going to make Derek, someone giving not giving in to his reactions and not sort of, letting him get away with acting like that or just brushing it off or reacting in a way that's different to how it usually works is going to sort of possibly bring him back into himself again and realize, make him realize that he can just talk like a normal person to these people, yeah. if you know what I mean. So I really hope that that continues. And I think that that will happen more with Derek and Styles than Scott and Derek because Scott tends to flip out with anger when threatened as whereas styles you know turns to his protective sarcasm and i doubt that derek's <laughs> been around anyone like that yeah you know, in a long time tying into that is another quote that i really liked which was when they were at the vet clinic and 
Styles is trying to brush off how bad the situation is and not deal with it when Derek pulls out his, you know, festering arm and he's like, that really doesn't look like anything some echinacea and a good night's sleep wouldn't fix and, you know, tries to <laughs> leave. And when Derek is howling in pain, he's like, you, you, you're not really Mr. Positivity, are you? And again, that all ties into <laughs> the, the same theme here for me that people need to talk to Derek like that for him to remember how to talk to people properly. The other quote I really, really liked was Scott at the Awkward Argent dinner where after Chris had been asking him, you know, if he'd like anything else to drink, some beer, a shot of tequila, and then goes on to hound him about his lacrosse and all these other things. You know, Scott kind of breaks the ice by being like, I think I will take that shot of tequila now. And I thought that was a really, really funny moment as well. I love how... It was kind of ballsy, too, because yeah. you can see the look on his face where he's like, yeah, I don't know if this is going to go over well. And there's <laughs> like this awkward pause for a second, and then they all start laughing, and he's just sort of like, oh, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> no, not going to kill me. I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, yeah it was it was a cool, like, I also kind of liked Kate uh, in that scene when he's giving the all the right answers, and Kate's kind of like watching it like a tennis match, being like, good answer, Scott. You know, total lie, but very well played kind of thing. I, I liked that yeah. whole whole bit as well. Okay, now we're going to get into the discussion for this episode. And let's just start off with a big one, because I know we both have a lot of feelings about this. But Kate, in her transition from, in the very beginning, she's driving down the road, she's jamming to her music, she's putting her lip gloss on, and you think, okay, this is just a regular girl who doesn't know you know, what's going on? She's going to get attacked. She's going to get killed. And then she busts out with this rifle and does this like crazy roll out of her car. And she's just like, yeah, come on, I can take you. And her relationship with Allison in the beginning as well, they're like sisters and she's really cool. And, you know, she kind of puts Allison's dad back in his place and says, look, you're being like this overpowering guy and you know, stop living in the dark ages, it's fine, they can have a relationship or whatever, to the end where we get a little glimpse of how crazy Kate really is, her turning on the gas, lighting the match and throwing it into the fireplace, mm-hmm. and you realize that this is not somebody that you should mess with and that Scott really needs to look out for himself if he's going to be around her at all. So basically, just in general, what what do you think about Kate in this episode? I knew before I started watching the show originally who she was. Like, I knew that this is the actress and she's going to be... I knew that there was a crazy aunt, Hunter, and that I, I had a fair amount of spoilers. But my roommate didn't and totally thought that Kate was meant to be this little blonde victim. When she was driving in, she was like, oh, lady, no good, blah, blah, blah. And she thought it was like the stereotypical thing was going to happen and she was really not prepared for it. So that was the first thing, like seeing it through that vision that you were meant to see that kind of trope come in, uh, which was interesting to me because I had not registered like that because I knew who she was right from the very start. But I didn't like her much right from the very start anyway because Derek is, like when Derek's tracking the Alpha and, you know, she she's attacked by the Alpha and then shooting around, she takes aim at Derek, shoots him. He's not even in wolf form. He's not doing anything wrong except some dodgy parkour. And she shoots him. She just casually shoots him. At this point, with the rewatch, we know that she knows who he is as well. And it's just so awful. Like, it's just... 
so awful. It's so nasty. And I don't know, I found I found her quite abrasive, like even though she, even when she was meant to be the cool aunt kind of thing, I found her quite I, I don't think even if she wasn't a hunter that I'd like her that much as a person, mm-hmm. but there's always something just a little bit off about her, especially when, you know, she talks about like her ninja reflexes and her death grip or whatever and and you know that she's always hiding something, so there's always that question of, okay, who is she really? Yeah, I, I can't say I, I can't say I thought much of her from the start. You know, even her reaction to Scott's, st- you know, allegedly stealing was kind of really psychopathic. Even you know, without suspecting that he was a werewolf, but her reaction to finding out that it was Allison and the condom was quite cool. Like her, both her and Chris were very shamefaced at that. So <laughs> I, I did enjoy that bit. But yeah, I don't know, what do you think in regards to her and and how she was introduced? I was dropped into the episode without knowing anything. I watched yeah. it on TV and I, I hadn't known any spoilers for pretty much the first two seasons. So everything yeah. that I watched, I had very like genuine reactions to. I Yeah, I was off put a little bit by her because I knew that, you know, she was lying to Allison and so was Chris and everything. But I really liked her relationship with Allison in the beginning because she was sort of the cool aunt that mm-hmm. put the tyrannical father back in his place. But overall, yeah, I was a little surprised by, you know, her turning out to being who she is. But I also, I like Kate. I like hating Kate. And we get this more later on, closer to the end of the season and everything, but she's just absolutely nuts. And without giving anything away, you know, you really see that later on. And I just, I love hating her. So I really like whenever she's, you know, on the show and everything. In the last couple of weeks, I've discovered some stuff that, that's some stuff that kind of like fandom tried to figure out, but apparently is canon that I am so horrified by in regards to her and I don't I mean I don't know how much you want to talk about it like do you want to wait do you only want to go episode by episode are we assuming that everyone's listened you know everyone's seen the show before because this is to do with um her and Derek so I think if we can contain it to the episode that'll probably be better just in case I mean obviously we're giving some stuff away but Mm. as long as it's not too big and I mean this is always something that we can bring up later when we talk Mm. about the specific scenes yeah in that case yeah it's just I mean at the end we had that the conversation at the very end between her and Chris maybe she didn't know that she was shooting Derek when she shot him but I mean that doesn't really change anything but just seeing her like consciously do that it just was very awful and yeah I just I would like to know how she got so crazy and why she got so crazy, and if it's just something that is, you know, if she, I mean, we know that she's kind of not the only one that's that crazy, but, you know, she's very fervent about, they're not very subtle about how crazy she has the potential to be, even in the end of this episode, or at least how ruthless compared to Chris, and yeah, I I, I don't like, I mean, I, I, I hate her a lot, and I'm not sure I like hating her. I mean, I, I want, I'm not going to like her, but I'm, I'm very much not on board with so many things about her. Yeah. That's going to be, I think, a lot worse rewatching than, than I, I would have thought the first time. 
My first point here was in regards to, again, the Scott and Derek dynamic. So at the end of last episode, we basically had Scott finding out about the Alpha, finding out that Derek was basically on his side and trying to, or at least in the same boat as him, and that Derek was not the one that killed the people that died. And that Derek is, he's not a victim, but he's as much a victim in this as as anyone else is, and he's just mm-hmm. had his sister chopped into pieces. Yet, he comes to Scott for help, falling down, dying in front of him. And what is Scott's reaction? Why should I help you? It's like, why shouldn't he? <laughs> I'm sorry, but, like, are you a human being? Are you a decent person? You know that Derek didn't bite you. Derek's tried to help you, and he's shot and dying. Like, I don't care if you don't like being a werewolf. Derek didn't make you one. Why would you not help him? Like, I get that Scott cares about Allison more than Derek as a human being. Does he care about more about going out with Allison than helping someone not die? And then later, like, when Styles or when he's on the phone to Styles and Derek, and Derek's like, you've got to do it or I'm going to die, and he's like, I'm starting to think this wouldn't be a bad thing. It's like, what has Derek done to deserve being spoken to like that? Like, interrupted Scott's date with Allison? As, again, Scott being a werewolf is not Derek's fault, and that's the only thing he has on him right now. So I don't understand that really hostile reaction about helping Derek not die. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like, whoa. But no, I totally agree, because I think the problem with Scott is, is he has all this anger, and he needs to blame somebody, and he doesn't know who to blame except for Derek. Derek is literally the only person that, you know, he's a werewolf, he was there from the beginning, like, who else is he going to shoot his blame towards except for Derek? Not that I'm defending Scott at all, because I think you're absolutely right in that Derek doesn't deserve anything that Scott's been saying to him, but I think that maybe that's why Scott says the things he does, because he feels like he needs to put blame on somebody, and who else is he going to put it on except for Derek, because he's just there. Yeah, like, last episode, I get that Scott didn't know there was another werewolf around. He didn't know that Derek didn't bite him. He didn't know any of those things. Now he does. Why? And he's talking to him possibly even worse. He's literally like, I should let you die. That's pretty harsh. And I was like, whoa. Because even Styles, like, right from the start, although he's scared and angry about having to deal with it. He's still upset on principle that Derek is hurt and dying and, like, stressing out, being like, oh, my God, he's going to die, he's going to die. Whereas Scott is just like, could you stop inconveniencing me? And I was kind of like, is this where people got Sterek from? Is Or is Styles just generally a more compassionate person than Scott? Because, and again, this is very tied into Scott's focus on Allison and whether it's healthy or not to me, because... Because it's what I'm saying here. It's not, oh, you care about Alison more than you care about Derek. Of course you care about Alison more than you care about Derek. That's fine. But you care more about not messing up, you know, a study date with Alison more than you care about letting someone who hasn't done anything wrong to you die. And in the prior episode where he's saying, you know, oh, I didn't kill the bus driver. Oh, I can go on a date with Alison. Yeah, you could... You, you're also not going to kill me from Styles, right. who's you know, the most important person in his life for 16 years up until that point. You know, his focus on Allison is so singular, like it's so obsessive to a point that it's kind of insulting and degrading to the rest of humanity around him, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think 
I still definitely think it has to do with his anger and, and wanting to blame somebody because if you think about Scott later on in this season and especially in season two, Scott's a very good person. He's a very decent human being and he cares about people that, you know, like the other werewolves that mm-hmm. come in later that really he doesn't have a whole lot of reason to care about them because they've been very mean to him and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the difference is this Scott hasn't yet accepted himself as a werewolf. Whereas later Scott says, okay, this is who I am. I got to deal with this. I got to accept it. Now, what can I do with these newfound powers that will allow me to help other people? No, that's true. It's just very, God, I would be so annoyed at him if I was Styles. And yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah. So yeah. And then what did you think, you know, on the flip side of that, of Styles' treatment of Derek throughout the episode? Yeah, I think that you're right to say that Styles is just generally more compassionate than Scott is. I think he's a lot more aware of other people, whereas Scott's very focused on Allison, like pretty much all the time. But I think this is definitely where Steric did get started. And when I think to, when I think of Steric, I think of a lot of the scenes where Styles and Derek are in the Jeep together and they're passing those quick quips back and forth to each other and all the really funny scenes and the chemistry between the two actors is just so strong during these parts. So yeah, I definitely think this is probably where the beginnings, the seeds of Steric began. Well, they're just both a lot smarter than most people that they're around. You know, Scott, he's good and he Scott's like Harry Potter. Harry is not smart. <laughs> Harry Potter is not he, – he's a good leader and he's the hero and he does the right thing and he figures out stuff when it comes down to it. But he is not that smart, like we, if you he's know what average. I mean. Yeah, he's – and Scott's very average. Styles mm-hmm. is very quick and very mature despite the fact that he has, you know, these, you know, ADD problems or whatever they're meant to be. He's very quick, very intelligent both at school and socially and – Derek is obviously an adult. And the way they talk to each other is just very funny to me. Derek also talks more with Styles than he does with other people. Like, Styles hasn't had to interact with him that much this far, but, and obviously in this circumstance, we have him trying to help him not die. But it wasn't like in the last episode where Scott was having to drag, you know, Derek would say a half sentence and then Scott would have to prompt him for the next thing. They were. They interact back and forth much more easily, even if it's in anger or sarcasm, than Derek and Scott. And so I find that quite interesting as well. Yeah. As I've said, I definitely think that it is a relationship that needs to continue in that... And you're gonna see, we're going to see so much more of this. But it's, I think it is the most important relationship for Derek in the show in the sense of him remembering how to be a person and not have the kind of hermity aggressive reactions that he has been having seeing as he's going to have to be dealing with people now the first time I watched it as well I wasn't that focused on it but it is the dynamic is so different to the dynamic with him and Scott and it may just be because they're both a a bit quicker on the uptake about things they they the way they sort of acted together in the, the veterinary surgery they both have the same sense of urgency about what's going on that Scott doesn't seem to have, and I think that might be the clincher of it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because Scott, you know, in school, whenever Styles tries to talk to him about, you know, what's going on, he 
Scott's still very much in the don't want to deal with it stage, but Derek and Styles both have the same sense of urgency about everything that's going on, and that's why I think people lump them together a lot in the sense of that Scott should listen to them and not to himself and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just have kind of a random question now. Mm-hmm theories that you might have, but where do the hunters get their bullets and their weapons from? We saw in this episode how Kate has that Nordic blue monkshood bullet, and I'm just sort of thinking, you know, do they make these things? Do they have to go on this crazy quest to, like, Greenland or something and, (laughs) like, pick, you know... Or do they have, like, this factory that's run by hunters and, oh, here, you're out of crazy... Wolfsbane bullets. Here's another pack. So I, I just kind of wondered if you had any weird theories or any ideas how they got a hold of these things. No, I mean, from what we see later, I suspect that they have like, I suspect it's like Inception, right? You've seen, have you seen Inception? Yeah. Okay. Not like the concept of the dreams. Forget that. Toss that all out of the window. But in the, <laughs> in the team that do the dreaming projects. They have people who have different roles. There's the architect who actually, like, builds the dream worlds and they hold it in place with their mind. They also have a chemist who makes the drugs for them and is part of the team and administers the drugs. So I'm assuming that in the hunter community there are people whose sole job is to get the weapons or something like that. I don't know. It could be wrong. Um, But maybe maybe they grow it in the garden. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I keep imagining them on these, like, you know... Quests. These countries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just think that'd be really cool. But, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. There's probably, like, a branch of the hunters that they go to that gets them these yeah. sort of things. And you know who knows a lot about that? It's the vet. So perhaps that was right. to do with him. There was just one more thing I wanted to say in regards to points on this one. When Derek told Scott that the Argents lit the fire because they knew that the Hales were werewolves... Scott's reaction was like, oh, then they had a reason. What? Like, if Scott's reasoning (laughs) to that is, like, being a werewolf is the reason, why doesn't he just present himself at their doorstep to be killed? Like, why is he on their side in this? Is it just because of Alison? Because I don't understand how he thinks that that's okay, if you know what I mean. That that Does he think intrinsically that, is that why he's such a problem with it? Is it that being a werewolf is wrong and they all deserve to be burned up? Or does he think that all werewolves are killers? Like, his reaction to Derek saying the Argents knew that they were werewolves and therefore set the whole house on fire, his his reaction saying that then they had a reason seemed highly delusional to me. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that. It's probably all tied back into the blame thing, but I that, more than anything in the episode, I was like, wow no yeah I think it is delusional but in his mind sort of twofold on the one side you've got this is Allison's family and we already know you know what kind of obsessive relationship he has with Allison so I don't think he wants to put blame on anybody that she's connected to Mm. but on the other side I, I think you know he still hasn't accepted that he's a werewolf maybe he doesn't even see himself as a werewolf yet he sort of sees werewolves as those other people and they're they're bad they bit me they gave me this thing i'm angry all the time and you know they're out killing people the bus driver and stuff Mm. like that and maybe he's just like well werewolves are bad and he just hasn't sort of accepted the fact that he is one of them now too Mm. 
And what you'd written down here in regards to Derek's age, well, Derek being at school, I'm sure that we'll go into this a lot more, but Derek, it's something that some friends and I were talking about earlier this week as well, Derek was at school when the fire was lit and that that was six years ago and you've said, is this high school or college? My opinion was high school from apparently it's what the the book is about, the Teen Wolf tie-in novel that we mentioned that I've Mm -hmm. actually ordered and I'm going to read when it arrives this week. It's apparently about the time of the fire and that Derek was in high school, which means that he would be, if Derek and Laura were in high school and Laura was older, maybe they were twins, who knows, but Derek would have been 16 to 18 at the time if Laura was older in some way, and so that would make him 22 now. Like, his age now is sort of 22 to 24, which is about what I suspected, and and that he kind of looks and tries to act a bit older than he is, but that he is, yeah, about 22 to 23. And I think that he was probably very different before this happened. But this yeah. is what the tie-in novel is about, is about him the setup of the fire happening and how Kate tied into all of that and where he was at mentally. So apparently there's some of the short, the, the Teen Wolf shorts, the the online short episodes actually do tie into the the novel or, or make sense that the novel is actually canon. So it might be stuff that happens in the flashback episode that we're oh, going to get okay. in season three. But there's some stuff in that there that's really super messed up. So... That's yeah. That's all gonna come up hopefully in a couple of episodes time, and and after I've read the book as well. So yeah, Derek is yeah was meant to be quite young when mm. the fire happened, and he's now yeah say twenty two, twenty three, which again is younger than he's kind of acting. And yeah, I will. Yeah, oh, sorry, go on. I, I was just gonna say I'm definitely interested in what kind of person he was before. You know, I think that he's just this really like doic sort of. I mean, no emotions, no anything. And to even consider the possibility that he smiled without malice, because he does smile sometimes, but usually it's that evil sort of grin. And for him to actually, like, maybe have been happy when he was younger, to me, that's just like, I can't even imagine it. Yeah, he's not capable of joy. No, no. no. He was born like that. No, the thing is, I don't think so. I think, like, for example, I mean, it comes up a lot in stuff with hysteric because of their age gap but people talk a lot and I was actually talking to my friends about this earlier this week as well I think that before the fire Derek had absolutely no reason to be anything other than nice and hopeful and sweet and that this broke him basically that because for example Styles right now or Styles by the end of season two or Scott by the end of season two they are for their age very They've gone through a lot. They've had. They have a lot of reasons to be damaged or suspicious or have dealt with things like that. But I think that Derek, at sixteen, before this happened, he hadn't had any loss. He lived in a big family in a nice house happily. The town didn't know they were werewolves. They had non-werewolves in the family. They clearly lived very normally in a very like solid family environment. And I think that he basically had everything going for him that he was probably very happy and probably quite immature, like not, you know, Styles at 17 is, you know, his mother's died, he's got looking after his father, he's got, he's already got kind of a weird life, and then he has to become the brains of the operation for this werewolf party, and, <laughs> and constantly gets 
physically injured, takes it without saying anything, lies to his dad about you know to protect him and hates doing it. He he's he has a really rough year by the time he's seventeen. Derek would have had none of that. Derek would have been dandy and then totally broken by the fire. And so I think he would have been a real I think him at sixteen would have been much more of an innocent than Scott and than Scott and Styles are. Right. Which is kind no, of depressing. That's a really good point. It is. And like when you definitely lay it out like that, I mean, you're right. He had this huge family and, you know, I'm sure that everything was fine and dandy as far as it could be, you know, normal family stuff. But yeah. And then to literally lose everything all in one go, it's just absolutely horrible. So I'm definitely interested to learn more about Derek, especially in the flashback or episode that we're supposed to be getting next season. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch and learn more about how maybe he transitioned from that other person into, you know, what we know him as. Mm. I mean, I can't imagine him being like a joyful skipping around person. No. (laughs) I think he was much more of an innocent at that age than Scott and Styles are now. Yeah. All right, we're going to move right into the news section now. we got a couple of really cool things to talk about this time around, actually. The first one is we have learned the name of what Natalie likes to call the Alfalfa, um, but the leader of the Alpha Pack, um, we now know his name, and it's Deucalion. Deucalion is described as being eloquent and intelligent, which I think is the beginnings of a great villain because I, I hate when villains are just they're kind of blah. I like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I like them when they're intelligent and sneaky and everything. But the interesting thing about this is that Deucalion is a Greek name. It comes out of Greek mythology. And he's actually the son of Prometheus, which is the titan that created the human race and stole fire from the gods in order to give it to the humans. Deucalion is pretty much the Greek equivalent of Noah having survived the flood by riding it out in a box along with his wife, Pyrrha. So this is pretty interesting. And I I definitely have to wonder what significance the meaning of his name has to the storyline. My only guess really right now since we pretty much don't know anything, is that maybe by the end of season three or something, Deucalion's going to be the only one left standing out of the Alpha Pack, and maybe he'll be sent along on his way with his tail between his legs or something like that. But what were your first reactions to learning his name? I don't know, but I'm getting a really strong mental picture of him as being like someone very sort of sleek and cool, like, he may be the bisexual character that Jeff mentioned, like, mm. the strong bisexual character, maybe not, but just this very kind of smooth person, and that, yeah, that he won't be thuggish, that the twins will probably be the the thuggish ones of the operation. And, yeah, I didn't know that about the, the name meaning, but I don't know how, how much that will come into it, but... I, I definitely the name kind of painted this mental picture for me, so I, I'll we'll we'll see. I may be wrong, and obviously we don't have the casting for that yet. But I really do have this very very strong mental image of him, and I, I he will try to seduce someone, maybe not romantically. It might be like come over to my pack, but Derek or Scott, he will try to seduce them into mm-hmm. the pack. I'm sure of it. I really don't know why the Alpha Pack, you know, what, what their goals are going to be, what their problem is exactly, like if they just go around trying to collect Alphas. What I, I do suspect may happen, and, and as I said, don't don't really want to happen, is that Derek may run off and try and be with them for a while, and, and I don't think that that will go well for him. Yeah, I don't think it would either. We do know that they, I mean, I don't know if 
Deucalion's going to do this or if the pack as a whole is going to do this, but they're definitely going to try to pit Scott and Derek against each other. And I think that's going to take us through the first definitely few episodes, maybe the first quarter or half of the whole season. Um, I'm not really looking forward to it either, but I think at the end of it, they're going to come out together and they're going to realize that they do need each other to survive the alpha pack at least. And then hopefully after that, they realize, you know, that they can actually become friends. Yeah, I hope so. As far as the name goes, I just thought it was a very specific name to choose. Yeah, it's and a bit odd, isn't it? It's not like it is. You know, Jim I don't, Bob or something. Yeah. <laughs> like. I don't really like it that much. I mean, I hope they nickname him like Duke or Cal or something because like to go around being like, oh, hi, my name is Ducalion. And like, I don't know. It just seems kind of silly to he me. probably picked it himself, a dad who was born. <laughs> and, unless he's a born werewolf, in, you know, in which case, you know, maybe the whole family is like all wacky. I doubt it's his his given name. (laughs) (laughs) The next piece of news, which is fairly exciting, I would say, although we don't know if it's Mm. completely, it's not set in stone yet, but, you know, earlier we did learn that Colton Haynes, who plays Jackson, isn't going to be coming back for season three of Teen Wolf. And this week, actually, this was, this was last week, I believe, he said that he had some really great news to share with people soon. And he followed the author Veronica Roth who wrote Divergent uh, he followed her on Twitter so these two things coming together and the fact that you know he's not going to be coming back to Teen Wolf is making everybody pretty much suspect that he's trying out for one of the parts have you read this book no I haven't read it have you I haven't no it's sitting on my shelf though so it's definitely in my to be read pile but I haven't read it yet but people were saying that He might be up for the role of Four or the role of Peter, I think the other one was. And people have, you know, varying opinions on which one they want him to be or whatever. But to me, this was like, he's got to be at least in the final negotiations of, you know, okay, it's down to me and like one other guy. Mm. Or, you know, he's definitely got the part or something. Because to give up a gig like Teen Wolf right now, right when it's, it's at the top of its game right now. He's got to be going on something solid, yeah. I would think. I mean, is this movie expected to be that huge? I think so. The books are really popular, and I would probably liken it to, like, the Mortal Instruments is going to be really big and everything, too. I would put it on about that level, I would think. I haven't heard of this particular book, and I don't know. Is it going to be, like, Hunger Games-style huge? Like, is it going to be a bigger franchise than Teen Wolf? I would say so. There's two books out right now, and I believe the third one is still slated to come out soon. But it's a post-apocalyptic sort of, along the same lines as The Hunger Games, although obviously like a different story. But maybe not quite as big as The Hunger Games, because that is pretty massive. But yeah, I think it's going to be a huge deal. I guess that might be the reason then, but it's sad that he couldn't do both, I guess. Yeah. Although, I mean, I am happy if he does get, you know, something as big as this. This could be huge for his career. So I I can't really blame him for not going along with Teen Wolf. But yeah, I would kind of hope that maybe, maybe he'll take a break this season and be back next season or something. Maybe he'll learn that he can do both. Yeah, I'd hope so. Okay, we've got... 
a nice little spoiler here. Jeff Davis, through the MTV Remote Control blog, has been giving us a spoiler a week, and he said he's going to do this right up until season three, which That's is pretty lot. exciting. It is, but what he's given us so far hasn't been anything crazy groundbreaking. He's being pretty sly with the details he lets slip, but this one's pretty interesting. It's about werewolf eye colors. He specifically said the different werewolves that have the different eye colors, it has nothing to do with DNA or being born a werewolf. In that case, I got nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this really kind of floored me because everyone pretty much assumed that, okay, Derek had blue eyes, Jackson had blue eyes, Derek was born a werewolf, Jackson has to be born a werewolf. And I mean, it was an obvious kind of leap to make there. But now that we know it's not anything to do with being born a werewolf or even their DNA in general, got three different eye colors, the the blue, the amber, and then the red of the alphas. Mm -hmm. Do you have any crazy theories of how maybe, you know, this could be? No, um, I'm just maybe something to do with being... An Omega, maybe, or part of a pack, or... I don't don't want it to be like a Twilight thing where they've, like, eaten some blood or something, but (laughs) I I don't know, I can't... I got nothing. Anything? The Omega from Season 2 had the amber eyes that Scott has, so... Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking, Jackson doesn't really have a family, and Derek doesn't really have a family anymore, that's the only other connection that I could see that they would have where they would both have the blue eyes. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> I got nothing. It'll be something we'll all have to think about for yeah. a little while. Please give me your theories, listeners, if, yeah. if, if any of you have any theories, because i got nothing. Stick them in the comments, tweet us, email us. We're definitely really interested. Even if they're crazy crackpot theories, we, we always like yeah. going. <laughs> I, yeah, because I, yeah, I've got nothing. Uh, <laughs> The last big... Oh, no, I've just thought of something, and I really hope it's not true. No, no, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be. It can't be possible, because he... Okay, here's one thing I never want to come into the show, and it's mates, like, as if the werewolf people having, you know, a specific mate in a kind of, like, imprinting... Not necessarily an imprinting way, but in a in a kind of, like, not so much a soulmate way, but in an animal, like, kind of that's the person's mate. And that's a trope that would obviously be very big thing with werewolves but it hasn't been mentioned so far in the show and I really hope it does not come to be mentioned in the show and I thought maybe it might have been to do with people who had their mates and that Scott was in love with Alison or or that she was his mate and even if she wasn't a werewolf but no because he was turned into a werewolf before he met Alison so the eyes didn't come into that so that's a concept that I really hope never comes into the show though because I think that these wolves these people sorry they don't really play to the wolf tropes. They are werewolves and they have wolfish instincts, but they don't talk about it in that sense of as much as some other werewolf concepts do. And I actually really like that quality about the show. I like that they don't, they may or may not be doing the actions. They may or may not be having the instincts, but the way they talk about it isn't all in like wolf terminology, if you know what I mean. And I really like that. So I really hope that that mate thing never comes into the show. But anyway. Yeah, I think Jeff Davis is highly aware of what else is going on in this genre. I mean, you have, like, the Vampire Diaries, which has vampires and werewolves and all that. And, you know, obviously Twilight is a big thing. I think he's very aware of what has been done. And he is consciously trying to steer away from that. So, yeah, I agree. I hope that never really comes into play in the show either. 
Okay, the next big thing we have, the last big thing that we have, too, is we got the episode title for episode two of the third season, and we got a couple of little snippets about some new characters that we're going to meet. So the episode title is reportedly going to be Chaos Rising, which mm-hmm. is kind of ominous, and that's going to follow the first one, which we already know is going to be called Tattoo. We also have a little bit of information about this episode in particular and a new character that they say, we will meet Cora, a recurring character. She is a beautiful raven-haired mysterious woman with a secret tie to the werewolves. And my first thought was that she might be the mysterious woman from the first page of the script for Tattoo that was leaked. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's extremely plausible. I have no idea why it wouldn't be that, but it could also be someone that knows, again, knows Deaton and the French teacher at the school. They don't cancel each other out. That was my only other theory. Or an alpha that perhaps she was someone that yeah knew the alpha pack or was involved with them in some way and, and is now no longer. But at the moment, I'm going to guess that it is the person from the first page of the, the script. The other character that we learned about is that the creators are currently looking for somebody to play the strikingly beautiful Heather, a longtime friend of Styles, who is celebrating her 17th birthday. Here's my thing about that. I reckon that it's going to be, I'm assuming, like a family friend if it's not someone who's at their school. And I think that she has got, is going, while I'm like neither here nor there on whether these girls are going to be romantic interests or, or not, I don't care either way, I suspect like plot wise that this girl will have always liked styles and that she mm. and that he never noticed because he liked Lydia and that if he's going to be over Lydia that he will now notice if you know what I mean right yeah i mean i want styles and lydia to be friends good close friends mm. and if he turns his eye on you know another girl or something like that i mean i don't really care either way my only thing is like I don't know. We kind of talked about this before where we were sort of wondering where everybody's friends were and Mm. why they didn't hang out with anybody else. And all of a sudden, you know, Styles has this longtime friend who, you know, is celebrating her 17th birthday or whatever. And to me, it's just kind of like they're throwing it in there. Although I do have faith in the writing Mm. and stuff and that they'll probably put it in seamlessly. But it just kind of seemed like out of nowhere. That's why I suspect it's like possibly a family friend that doesn't live there. Like maybe a, you know, his, you know, father's best friend or his mother's best friend's child or something like that. And that they don't live in the same town, but that they've grown up together or that she used to live there and no longer lives there. Maybe they used to hang out when Styles used to be cool. And now he only has friends. (laughs) Now I actually saw a reaction um, to this uh, news on Tumblr. Someone reblogging news and saying, but I thought Styles only had one friend, which is very much <laughs> the whole point of this conversation. That's why I suspect it's, it's not a school friend, that it's a family friend. Maybe she's moving back to Beacon Hills and that she will be a, a full-time character, but it's someone that he's grown up with his whole life. Okay, now we're going to get into some listener feedback really quick and, and kind of wrap up the episode here. The first one is from Blue Humac, and they just asked, could Lydia's blood one day cure someone's werewolfness? What do you think about this? I thought about it in the past. Possibly. I can't imagine anyone getting cured in the show. I, I can't imagine that being a, like, a solution, I can't, especially Scott. I can't imagine Scott actually getting cured but if it comes down to like someone being a werewolf damaging them maybe but i hope that it wouldn't you know kill her 
I'm sure that we'll find out more about her immunity and maybe her immunity will be lifted one day and she'll be, end up becoming a werewolf. I definitely think it's a possibility and probably something that, you know, whether or not it happens aside, something they're going to be exploring and maybe they'll find out that it doesn't work or something like that. But mm. I would actually like to see this whole cure hang in front of Scott that they find this cure and he actually decides no I don't want to be cured because I can do so much more as a werewolf with these you know superpowers and actually help people out and do some good in the world so I'd kind of like to see him find the cure and then decide you know what it's my responsibility because I know of these things to stay this way yeah I think that that could definitely be a thing or that he'll you know maybe give it away to someone who needs it more or something like that I don't <laughs> Though, like you're in a bottle like if one of the others actually has a like being a werewolf causes them problems like you like they're gonna die because of it or something like that so mm -hmm. we shall see though the next one comes from Twitter as well, and this is from Brooke Wentz. Uh, she just said, I feel like you should talk about how awesome Orny is. Why? Because. <laughs> and you know what? I totally agree with this statement because, and if you guys don't know, Orny Adams is the guy who plays coach, and I think he's amazing. And I put up a post earlier in the week about he's actually got a show, a special on Comedy Central titled Orny Adams Takes the Third. And there's, if you go to hypable.com and just search for that, you'll find a couple of videos there. And he's uploading more to his official YouTube channel. But he's a really funny guy. And I really like how him and Coach are pretty much the same person. Their, their humor is very, very similar. And I can see why, you know, he's a perfect fit for the character. Did you get a chance to watch the videos at all? I have watched some of them and I follow him on Twitter and he is quite fantastic. It is very good comedic talent. And he does podcasts as well, which he promotes mm -hmm. quite often. So, yes, I feel like he's definitely sticking around as, as one of my favorite people involved in the show. And then our last one is from Tarek, who's a part of Hypable, and he just wants to remind you guys that Hypable's Battleships is going on right now, and if you just search for that, they're pretty much in the hot and Hypable section every time because it's so popular, but this is all about shipping and putting a couple against another couple from a different show and, and basically finding out who's going to win, and in about two weeks... Derek, who won the Teen Wolf competition against other characters in the show, is going to go up against Jess and Nick from New Girl. So make sure you guys stick around, head over to the site, and vote in that to see who's going to win. Now, Natalie, I know you watch New Girl, so do I. I love New Girl. It is probably my favorite comedy mm -hmm. show on TV at the moment. I you know who you're going to vote for? I will vote for Steric, if it was if it was Steric versus Schmidt and Cece, I, that would be harder for me to pick. I do really like Jess and Nick, and I really I actually really think that when the show started, everyone was like, "Oh, they're going to put those two together. That's going to be so stupid." But they did such a good slow burn with it that now yeah. you really want it. Like the whole first season, I was like, "No, no, no." By the end of season one, I was like, "Oh, actually, no. I, they've done this really well, and now I want it to happen." And it's a it's one of the best slow burns I've ever seen on TV. But I care about the characters of Derek and Styles a bit more than I care about Jess and Nick. But if it was Schmidt and Cece, I would have a lot of trouble picking. In the preliminary rounds, I definitely voted for Schmidt and Cece too. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they're great. But yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'm definitely voting for Steric, mostly because I just I love Styles so much. I mean, I really like both couples and everything, but yeah, it's it's going to have to be Steric for me too. Yeah. So if you like shipping wars, you know, you could come over to Hyperball and participate and hopefully Steric will get through to the next round and battle some other couples if you want to spread that around. I know that fandom likes shipping wars, so come on over. So before we close up, we haven't forgotten the winner of our giveaway for the hand-stenciled bag and the Big Bad Wolf necklace charm. So we have one winner for each of those, which we did by giving every entry a number and then putting the amount of numbers into a random generator. And the first winner of the bag is Caroline. Uh, That's Rachel's headband on Twitter. So you will receive the stenciled Not Another Teen Wolf podcast tote bag. And we'll just need you to email us at natwpodcast at gmail.com with your shipping address for that. And then the second winner of the necklace charm was Leah Rao. And again, if you want to contact us at that same email address, we can ship you the necklace. So that's fine, just wherever you live. I'm not sure if you're both from America or where you're from, but let us know and we will get those to you. So that was very exciting. Thank you, everyone, for entering. We will send those out as soon as possible. We're going to finish up now um, because we've been going for quite a while and we had to start a little bit late tonight. We'll see you in two weeks when we'll be recapping episodes five and six of season one. So let us know between now and then what you're excited about, what you liked about those episodes and everything like that. On that episode, we also hope to be bringing you a third guest host. So it'll be me and Karen and another member of the extended Hyperball family. For now, we'll say bye-bye and leave you to hopefully get on with your own re-watching or whatever you feel like doing. Keep on teen wolfing. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Everybody's looking at you like they want to. Like they want to go home with you. Contact us on Not Another Teen Wolf Pod... Uh. Before we get started, I'll remind you that we can... Oh my god, words. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. The most... Uh, what word am I trying to say? Uh, it starts with an I. Help me out. <laughs> Ignorant? No, um, he doesn't have a lot of self-esteem. Oh, insecure? Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs>